Hello and welcome to the Island Stories podcast. I'm your host, Harriet Hadfield. If you love the Isle of Wight, or like many, you dream of living here one day and want a slice of island life, this is the podcast for you. Every season we speak to amazing islanders, each with an extraordinary story to tell. So let me introduce this week's guest, Helena Nicklin, or better known as at Helena Sips, with her almost 20,000 followers on Instagram. Helena is a writer, TV presenter, international wine judge, and fellow podcaster. Helena, welcome to the podcast. It's so lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so the first question we always ask on the podcast, very simply, why the island? Oh, very simply, unfortunately, isn't the answer. <laughs> um, well, I suppose if we were to distill it down, it would be we came here almost by mistake a couple of years ago, totally fell in love with it and bought a little flat here and it got harder and harder to leave. And so we just took the plunge. And your podcast has a lot to answer for, I must say. This is why we're here. So really. you're the first guest that had listened to the Island Stories podcast yeah. and that formed a part of moving here? Absolutely. We were, it, it was while we were toing and froing and we, we spent a lot of weekends down here. You know, the sun's going down on a Sunday. You see the locals on the beach having a beer and you're like, I've got to get back in the car and go home now. And it was listening to that because, you know, we wanted to get to know people from the island better. So I found your podcast and I was already following Lisa Henry, so I listened to her episode particularly. And given that she, you know, she came from Streatham, which wasn't that far from where we were, it just showed me that it could be done. And yes, it's a huge move. We've got two children, you know, new schools, new life. But yeah, that was the impetus we needed and we loved it. Yeah. I want to ask all about life here, but just to <laughs> pick up on that, because it was Lisa Henry um, who does filming locations. She was in season one who introduced us. And she was the one who said, you know, your podcast is, is responsible for this amazingly talented, creative new Islander. Which other episodes sort of did you enjoy? Which other people, Islanders, did you find inspiring? Well, I just I love the fact that it, it's so varied, but I love Robert Thompson as well particularly because you know being a foodie person too and just hearing his story and I know I know that things have changed for him recently but you know but he, it, hearing all about the different people on the island and etc you really get to know more about the island because we're so new and so it's really useful for us to you know to find out more about who lives here and who we should be getting to know you know. We need to get Robert Thompson back on, don't I we, think producer we do. Alex? Because we had to take his episode down because everything changed for him. And he's now back running his uh, restaurant Thompson's yeah. in Newport, which is great. So, yeah, I think we'll put him on the list to get him back because he was a brilliant episode. OK, so yeah. life on the island. Yes. What does it look like? Where do you live? What do the kids think of it? Ooh, yes. Well, we live in Gurnard. Good well, choice. I thought, yeah, I thought it was pronounced Gurnard, but I'm, you know, I'm learning how to say it like a local. Yes, yeah, so we started in Cows and we've moved oh so far away to, uh, to Gurnard. Yes. Um, so I live with my family, my husband, Hamish, uh, my two kids, Ivy and Cora, who I've uh, given middle names to that are very famous wines because I'm that sad. What are their middle names? Uh, <laughs> Ivy Ornelia, it's a super Tuscan red wine, and Cora Salaya, which is another very posh super Tuscan red wine. They must love you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ivy's 12. She's only just learned how to spell it. <laughs> not surprised. Yes. I was just thinking. I know. Um, what do they think of life here? They are falling in love with it. It's very new. Um, and they, I think with kids as well, it takes them a little bit longer to get on board. 
But what I've seen since we since we've been here is that they have stopped complaining, um, which is huge. And they are smiling a lot more and they're spending so much time outside, which I absolutely love. We've we've bought them kittens, <laughs> massive bribery here. You know, we still we have our aging spaniel here. And yeah, there was a hot tub when we got here, so (laughs) they're very happy. So where did you come from? Where were you living before? We were in southeast London, but my husband is originally from like from down south. You know, he's a he's a Dorset boy at heart. So he, you know, he wanted to come back to the sea. And, you know, I'm I'm originally from East London and we were just living really fast paced life, um, just really overwhelmed all the time. It's really interesting you say the kids have stopped complaining. And, yeah. you know, this is something that I talk about with my friends a lot. I've got very young children. And the idea that they're going to have this, you know, slightly more wholesome, outdoor-based upbringing is such a positive thing. And you've seen a change in them, in their outlook, in their behaviour. Yeah, I, I have. And it's still quite early days for them. But the fact that they want to spend more time outside is huge. There wasn't really the opportunity to do that back in London because, you know, like very small garden, very built up area, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, we've, we're, we're blessed to have so much space on the island and we're not far from the sea. And so we're down there every day. You know, I've even got them in the sea quite a lot, which is great. And, you know, well, o- over the summer, they were outside a lot more than they ever would normally have been. There's a lot less screen time going on. And they've got some local friends, which is really nice. And they can just sort of head around the corner and go and find them, which was quite hard to do, actually, back yeah. where we were. Allowing your children, I mean, my five-year-old can go, you know, across the road and round to Granny's house on yeah. his own. And I think in London that, that wouldn't be possible. Absolutely not. No, we've got a little shop uh, at the end of our road and they, they love the independence. They feel just like going out and buying a bar of chocolate and coming back again without us, you know. <laughs> now, your husband, Hamish, yes. what does he do? How is he making life work, sort of work-life balance on the island? Well, this is an interesting one because one of the reasons why we took the plunge was because at the time that we, we actually made the decision to do it and put the house on the market, none of us were thriving. You know, he, he works in advertising. He was the CEO of a, of a bunch of advertising agencies on the, on the planning side rather than the creative side. And it was just, I just saw him really struggling. And I wasn't loving life. The kids weren't loving life. And, and it, was, it was about sort of doing the maths on our life and just saying, do we really need to be living this? So, so he quit his job. And he's here on the island thinking about what he wants to do next. And it's been a really interesting journey sort of watching where he's going with that as well, because he thinks he's going to go back into advertising and maybe he will. But he's got so many skills that I think we could use on the island for so many really positive companies, for example. You know, there's there's loads he could do. He just needs to really work out what that is he is a seriously nice man as well I have to say and um, and I'm really excited to see what he does and and hopefully he'll be on a a future season of the podcast (laughs) to tell us all about it now I always ask someone who's very close to my guest to tell me you know why they're a great islander and some anecdotes and so I did speak to Hamish oh and I said you know, can you tell me any anecdotes about moving here? And he said, there's nothing suitable for a family podcast (laughs) because they usually involve too much cognac. Uh, Oh, no. (laughs) But he did say that you'd come here on holiday, as you said, 
and that you have an obsession with estate agent windows. Oh. And that might be what has got you into this situation. You were <laughs> looking in estate agent windows in cows and that kind of also prompted this move oh yes well that's another one of the strange things that happened that got us here um I think that's a little unfair of him to be honest oh my goodness um <laughs> but as I said you know we, we we had been looking for a little place a little getaway I'm you know I'm quite a sensitive person I'm a highly sensitive person HSP if you've ever heard of that I and have I, and I have you <laughs> and I know that I need a I need time away to recharge just a day or so, like a day and a night. And then I am, I am fine. I just need to process life. And I wanted it to be by the sea. And we'd been looking in Kent and all sorts of places. And then we went on, an, we went on the most terrible glamping holiday opposite the island. And we, we just thought, no, let, we're not, let's not do this anymore. And so we cut that short by four days and uh, got on the red funnel. Ended up in cows, found the estate agent window. That is a great story. <laughs> that stretch of water between yeah. the island and the mainland is something that lots of my guests talk about, that it makes that huge difference when you, when you cross over. It's almost transportative. It really is. And I've never felt that so much as in the last couple of weeks because I'm still doing bits of work on the mainland. And it's the unplugging, isn't it? And I know your guests have said that as well. You get back on the ferry and you can feel your cortisol levels dropping. You can feel your nervous system just recalibrating. And it's incredible. I don't really know because I don't really leave anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. My solution is just not to go anywhere off the island. Well, I hear that happens, right? I know that even yeah. going to Ventnor might seem a bit of a... That's a, very know. exciting. It's very oh, exciting. Gosh, I love Ventnor. It's funny you talk, though, about the ferry because when I spoke to Hamish yesterday, you guys were having a bit of a nightmare getting back oh, over. And he did say, because the weather was so bad the ferries weren't really operating I think you ended up on a car ferry when you need what meant to be on the red jet and he did say the one thing you hadn't really thought through was that connectivity <laughs> issue when everything's not working yeah well I, I mean I had thought it through um, he, he hadn't <laughs> but maybe that's why he's here because he hadn't thought it through um, and it might have stopped stopped him wanting to come so I'm fine with that uh yes sometimes it's a bit of a pain <laughs> but you know what I part of the reason I was so happy to move here was because I wanted to do less over there anyway I you know I need I want an excuse to do more of what I loved and less of what I've you know felt obliged to do and so if sometimes that means I can't get there then oh well <laughs> I asked Hamish why the island's lucky to have you oh and he said, wow, that is a question. But he said, you bring glamour and creativity and her sense of mischief and her sense of changing the status quo. He said, you're willing to get involved in all sorts of things and be part of the community. She wants to be part of something, contribute, make a difference and add value. So Ooh. How do you think you're going to add value to the island? One thing I've never had is a tribe. And one thing I was worried about moving here was the fact that I wouldn't meet anyone. And so part of what I want to create next is a, is a tribe. And it's, it's a tribe that involves all these incredible people that I've met that have very similar outlook on life, that have the same values and, and just to, to big them up in everything I do as well. You know, my next stage is, it is it's wine and spirits, but it's also food, it's also art, it's also music, it's travel, <laughs> it's spirituality, it's all the things. And all those people are here on the island. You know, I could do the whole thing here if I wanted to. Can I be in your tribe? Well, yeah. 
have a joke. Yeah, uh, that sounds great. And actually, I think particularly as women in our forties, yeah, a tribe's a really important thing, isn't it? It, it really is. I hadn't quite realised how much I hadn't had one, and I think mm. it was it's partly the way I was brought up. You know, I'm not going, won't bore you, sort of a yeah. <laughs> therapy type question. Well, sometimes this podcast can turn uh, into therapy, so that's okay. I, 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 I understand. <laughs> I try not to make you cry. I know. I know. I'm already nearly there. Uh, but just, I'd never, you know, I. For some reason, my the friends I went to school with, we we all we went our separate ways. Maybe it's because I did languages, and actually, a lot of people just moved out of the country. So it was very uh, just before we could get a real, real close bond, and that that's happened quite a lot. There've been a lot of changes in my life, and I really, you know, in my in my forties now, I really feel the need for a, for a community and a lot of women. I, I, I've never really had a big tribe of women and I want one. Well, I've got lots more to introduce you to Yay. as well. Um, and I've loved that about coming back to the island. For me, it's been two things because there are friends here that I grew up with down here who have also sort of gravitated back to live near their parents as I have. Uh, and also met all these amazing new islanders and something Lisa Henry talked about. Um, living in Ryde and I think Gurnard's the same as there's a sort of expatty feel sometimes yeah. and because lots of people are new to the island they look after each other they invite each other to things and that's very very different to living in a city or really living on the mainland I think yeah I mean hugely different I, I remember the the first weekend we we moved here I <laughs> I was a couple of days after Hamish and the girls because I'd accidentally gone on a press trip to Greece <laughs> which is he, I'm sure <laughs> accidentally you know, he likes to um he likes to remind me of that. But literally, I, I, I arrived at 4 p.m. on the Saturday, first day in my new house, and we went straight out to dinner to uh, a wonderful neighbour called Rowan, her house, and she just introduced oh, me to loads Rowan. of people. <laughs> and then, I know, right, right? And she, then, you know, and then someone there from there invited us back, and now we've got like in, an incredible group of friends already, and I can't believe it, and I can't believe that I thought it was going to be a problem meeting people. <laughs> it's hilarious. 17 years in the drinks industry. So that's that's quite a career. So when I called you a drinks guru, a wine guru, you really are. You've got a huge amount of experience. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I think wine wine is my superpower, I would say. You know, I'm quite new to spirits and things. Yeah, it, but it's been quite a journey. I, I was, because I've always been into sort of communicating things that I I'm passionate about you know I, I, I went to drama school after university and stuff because and then I want and I wanted to bring that to to what I do with wine and spirits so you've turned you've turned wine into this kind of media brand that you have so let's just talk about you've got your podcast you've got your Amazon Prime show as well so TV presenting the three drinkers I watched it last night I watched a few episodes oh gosh tell the listeners what the show is all about <laughs> okay well being a frustrated actress um I've been wanting for years to bring the performance element to the educational element to the to the wine and spirits and a way to do that um is definitely telly and no one would make this for us so we decided to make it ourselves and the, the idea was that we wanted to bring people into what we loved about wine and spirits through the people the places and the culture rather than it just being really niche about booze so for example the last series we went to cognac but we we met the producers and we learned how to make it of course but it was also about what you can eat while you're there what you can do as you know as a family it, as well and it, it definitely yeah. sold the region of cognac mm. as well as the drink really well it was beautifully shot 
spot. There you are, sort of, you know, cycling through vineyards. Mm -hmm. I yeah. thought it was great. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah. Um, yeah. You also did that in Ireland and you did it in Scotland as well. So yes. I would have thought that France was in the sunshine was probably slightly easier, more fun. It was, although it was over 40 degrees while we were shooting. But yeah, I would take that in any time, you know, and so... That, you know, it, it's what's ironic is that I've worked in wine all my life, and it's spirits where the where the TV has, you know, has started. But one day soon, I'm hoping we'll do the south of France and all that is glorious about that. Wine writers, wine broadcasters—they have this incredible language to <laughs> describe whether it's you know spirits or wine. So one of one of the lines you said it's it's less burny on the nose. <laughs> and libaceous delights <laughs> you do have a real way with language I think that's very kind of you to say uh, not so good at axe throwing the episode of the island show where I don't know how many takes I had to do and the original the original cut was that I, I got it first time oh my god um, <laughs> but that, that the bit where I turn around and I'm literally saying to the crew do I have to keep going till I get one <laughs> and I kept that in that wasn't supposed to be there um, yeah. you use that use of language uh, in your podcast as well bring a bottle yeah. um, which I know is now on hold but you did 105 episodes yes huge amount I know I, I really loved doing them though they were yeah they, they, they were they were great they were really good for the time as well I think and yeah, it, it gave us a chance to be a bit more irreverent about drinks because I think people, you can get really, really too into the details sometime and, and it just takes the joy out of it. Yeah. Podcasting is really fun though, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Just get to sit here and have a natter. Um, one of the things I noticed in the TV shows, because I started with Cognac uh, and then I kind of worked backwards. Oh, gosh is actually your role gets beefed up in each series. In the first series, you didn't get a lot of airtime and the two men did. Mm. And it's just really interesting because I know that you've also written quite extensively about being a woman in a very male-dominated industry. Am I right in what I noticed looking at that progression through the series? Does that tell a wider story? Yeah, it absolutely does. I mean, the f I mean, the first thing is... The first series, we were a little greener anyway. We weren't really sure what we were doing. It was on a real shoestring budget. Yeah, the production values also lift as it goes through. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, as did the budget. And you can definitely tell that. But also, you know, we were more practiced. But I was also more confident. I was more confident to make sure that I had more scenes. Uh, and it, yeah, it was a real reminder that you know, as a woman, sometimes you have to fight harder and shout a lot louder just to get into the same places as men yeah you have to push much harder to get your voice heard yeah. there was one scene actually that um my sister also who I just spoke to before recording had watched and she said why did they stick Helena in the back of the Range Rover oh. and the two men were in the front and actually I did say to her to be fair a bit later on they switched it mm. around it shouldn't have started like that though should it it, it wasn't a good look yeah, I, it didn't it didn't work for me. And it did make me wonder, I think, you know, alcohol is probably quite a male dominated when I think of sort of wine writers that I can name, they are all men. So how's that been through this sort of 17 year career to be taken seriously as a woman writing about wine? It's been a real journey, to be honest. Um, so when I started, I knew that I wanted to do things a little bit differently. So I, I started selling wine in a wine shop. That was my first job when I was an actress. When I got back from Rome and I was like, oh, French and Italian wine shop. I started doing that and then I moved to Decanter and then I moved to Corny and Barrow. 
And this was at a time where I knew I wanted to communicate about wine. And there was Jancis Robinson, who is amazing, but she, she's like Jesus of wine, <laughs> <laughs> Lady Jesus of wine. <laughs> she, she can have you can have that chances if you're listening um you know victoria moore a couple of brilliant women writing for the newspapers but in terms of anything else there was no one else and i started a youtube channel and it was before twitter even existed i tried to talk about the personalities of the world's most famous greats but using analogy and bad dress up because i had no budget i would use what we had in the house so Cabernet Sauvignon is the rugby player of wine grapes, for example. So I put on Hamish's rugby outfit, dress up the dog and explain why it's a rugby player because it's full bodied, lot purpley black bruises. Bit of a bruiser. Yeah, 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 yes. yeah, yeah Arms like, like cedar that. trees, etc. Um, but when I put that out there, the trade did not like it at all. And the trade at the time was like 99% men, really, especially the ones that were vocal. There were a lot of female buyers behind the scenes. But in terms of in terms of the people who were sort of out talking about wine, really, it was it was the men. And there was a there's a very well known wine forum. I won't name it here, but somebody found one of my more interesting videos and uh, put it on the chat. Well, the, the forum at the time and said, is this the new Gary Vaynerchuk of wine? Discuss, which it's actually a compliment. I don't know if you know who no, he is, but he was like the first ever wine influencer, really. He's an American and now he's um, it's not even about wine. He's a motivational speaker and he's got a whole empire. Um, so I, it, so it, was a, it was a nice comparison, but what followed was pages and pages and pages of vitriol and just trolling Yeah. before we even knew what trolling was. And no one helped me. And I didn't think I could go to, walk into a tasting. So, I mean, so that was the first thing. And then oh, you know, when I was a buyer, you know, I'm the man from Del Monte, the woman from Del Monte who's talking to this wine producer looking for an agent because that's my job. And yet any bloke who comes along and starts talking to them, I'm just ignored immediately. It's like, uh, you know, that, that guy's like serving the water about how, you know, I, I can actually give you what you want, but you're, you're just presuming I can't because I'm a young woman. Yeah, I've experienced exactly the same right. and the trolling as well. I, I know exactly how you feel. Yeah. It's it's kind of an awful thing and it's a real story of our age, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I'm happy to say that it's, with the advent of Instagram in my area at least, it's that is a very female-friendly place and it's been brilliant. It's completely changed how wine is communicated now. But gosh, it's, you know, it's, it's quite it's still quite new. Yeah, Instagram is a great one. And, and as I said in the introduction, you've got nearly 20,000 followers. Mm. How important has Instagram been in becoming this wine and drinks influencer? Mm. Oh, it's been huge, actually. And I'd kind of ignored it until, I'd, you know, I hadn't realised how important it was, rather, until lockdown, when oh, we were due to film Ireland on the 5th of March 2020. So obviously we didn't do that. And so we had to, like with the three drinkers, we had to really pivot very, very quickly. Like, how are we going to build the brand, communicate? And uh, social media and Instagram was the obvious choice. And it, so it forced me to look at my own and develop a style. And where, because it's so easy to do as well, and it's re as soon as you've done it a few times, you know, the practice really, really helps you just be much more comfortable in front of the camera. You could, it, it's been really good for me because now brands come to me and ask me to work with them on Instagram to talk about their products, you know, like drop in the education and that's just the right amount. Yeah. But, you know, whilst trying to remain irreverent, etc. I was just thinking, though, I mean, not good that you had to not do the filming straight away in lockdown. But one of the things I remember being a thing in lockdown was people drank a lot of wine. <laughs> they did. Yeah. So it was probably quite a good time to be building that 
that audience because people go looking for information about wine and trying to learn about it. Yeah, absolutely. And they really did. The amount of people who did wine courses as well. I, and that's when that's when my following grew. You know, it's not even necessarily about the TV show. It was it was lockdown and people wanting to know more about booze. And what's great is that we've emerged and, and people are much more interested in wine, aren't they? <laughs> absolutely. Well, we've just opened a wine shop. We had you over to the Halland yes. uh, only the other evening. Mm. And uh, we're hoping to persuade you to come and do a wine tasting event because... Mm everyone really wants to learn about it now they don't just want to drink it they mm. actually want to know why do I like this why don't I like this what makes this bottle work so I think you've got a great thing going with that I think so but also I don't I don't sell wine so it's not so I can be completely free with how I how I talk about it so I would always start with great examples of type and then you know then you lift the bonnet on all the malolactic fermentation oak barrels and very specific producers and you can recommend certain bottles but, you know I, I always start with Cabernet versus Pinot versus Syrah let's taste them all in a row and the, you know and um, and I'm a bit silly with it. I just uh, I just recently did a jigsaw puzzle of France wine regions Ooh. and it was really amazing. I think you should you should do it for your for your Instagram. I think it'd be quite fun. I think I saw that on Instagram. I yeah, because we had it out in the yeah. in the shop. Yeah, so yeah. people the idea was that people would come in and do parts of the jigsaw. But as Chris pointed out, I was doing most of it. <laughs> I found it weirdly therapeutic. <laughs> I tell you what, getting back to things like that. Yeah. yeah. I did some painting with wine um, this this week and I, I didn't, I'm not normally the kind of person that just sits down and does something like that because I'm too busy. Mm-hmm. That was amazing. Very mindful. Let's go back then to life before living on the island. You were born in 1977. <laughs> Your dad, well, both your parents worked in health. Your dad was an NHS GP and your mum was a nurse. So you've gone in a very different direction to them. And as you said earlier, you grew up sort of on the outskirts of London. So again, a very different life to being here on the island. What happened after school? What kind of took you down this path? Gosh, well, my parents, safe to say, didn't particularly love the idea of me going to drama school. Um, But they said they would support that if I went and got a degree first. So, yeah, I I studied languages at university and then I I studied, then I went to drama school. But, I mean, languages is a great thing to have done because, obviously, you know, and I heard it on the programme, you know, your French accent is perfect. You talk about Italian wines. Like, having that language background's probably come in pretty handy. It's been amazing, actually. I hadn't even thought about wine when I started my degree, hilariously. Um, But, yeah, it's been a very happy coincidence. They did do you a (laughs) favour. No, they did. Actually, I decided to go into wine while I was... Well, the, the seed was sown while I was living in Rome, actually. So it's part of Erasmus. After drama school, though, mm-hmm. you got a job in a wine shop and that's when everything took a slightly different direction. It did, yes. So I I, I moved to London, moved out of my parents' house because when I was at drama school, it was right next to where my parents lived. So that was handy. Yeah, and I tried to do both for a long time. So I was I was an actress and I would just run out the wine shop to go and do an audition and come back again. And my boss was really understanding and amazing. And yeah, and I had the classic crossroads moment. Like you couldn't, if I were to write it in a book, you'd never believe it. You know, it on like the two decisions to be made on the same day that threw my life into either direction. And one was wine and one was acting. And uh, yeah, I chose wine that day. This was after I'd been doing both for a while and it was quite hard work. Um, I chose wine, but I vowed that one day I'd come back to communication and performance and bring the two together. 
And is that the plan now? I mm-hmm. mean, what what is next? I sense there's a huge amount yeah. of drive in you and a huge amount of creativity that you're going to put to good use. Part of the reason that I've loved moving here uh, is that it's given me a bit of space to think about part two and to be here. And yes, I want to keep wine and spirits in my world. Yes, I want to keep communication in my world, but I actually want to bring in more of what I love. And I feel I can do this here in a way that I couldn't do on the mainland. And that is immerse myself in the things that I've always been interested in. I've always wanted to keep learning. And actually, and when I looked at those things, it was it was very similar to the French concept of the art of living, l'art de vivre, which is the combination of continuing your personal growth, so always learning new stuff, and a massive appreciation of artistry and, and culture, but savouring your senses, so fragrance, wine, spirits, all, all, all of these things, but sensory science and uh, just and then and gratitude and mindfulness and all of it together, so... Yeah, so what is what is coming next is is a project that encompasses all these things where I'm building a tribe who can share their expertise with with the tribe. Uh, you know, so if it's like if, if there is somebody who knows a lot about plants and flowers, for example, maybe <laughs> your sister at Island yes. Stems, I don't know. <laughs> but you know, let's come and work with her and eventually we'll do workshops. You know, I'll do a wine tasting workshop, I want a perfume making workshop, you know. And all of these beautiful things. And I want to know more about how my senses work. And I want to tell everybody about that so that they can make the most of what they already have. That's the plan. And this will all come together as well in a podcast series. The podcast will be The Spine and it will have its corresponding website, which is essentially an online magazine and a social media matrix pumping it out. But the plan is to interview an expert in every episode, like from anything from neuroscience to a GABA technology, alcohol replacements, etc. Functional, functional fragrances and, you know, plants as medicine, all of this, all of this stuff. And just things that I've always wanted to know that I know other people are, would really like to hear about as well. And how do you fund a project like that? I'm sure people are kind of wondering. It sounds incredible. But I mean, I know from doing the podcast, you know, you can make an amazing product, but actually trying to make a living out of it at the same time is quite tough. Yeah. Well, you know, ask me in a year when I've managed that. Um, but the plan is to start essentially with with branded content. To, so to work with partners that really understand the ethos of the art of living and, and that I only want to work with people where we can bring in what they do as like an authentic part of what we're talking about as well so it adds value so for example if it were if it were a wine brand it would it would be the right wine brand because I'm talking about drinking less but better and how you do that is through education so it would be a a lovely wine that you buy one bottle of instead of two and you'd really savor it but then I'd use that wine to teach the listeners something about wine for example brings me to a question I'm desperate to ask you which is about drinks trends and uh, (laughs) what what can we look forward to in 2024 because I'm you know gosh it was it would have been 10 12 years ago I did a slightly off the wall story for Sky News about gin right and it was about Sipsmith and uh this gin craze that was starting and I think my bosses thought I was a bit mad and this was all a bit lightweight but it was bang on the money but gin is so over now like what are people drinking well you say that it keeps going though doesn't it (laughs) Uh, what's really interesting what I just discovered like in all these years in booze I just discovered a couple of weeks ago and I've been asked to write about it for a national newspaper (laughs) I've got a file tomorrow, hilariously. <laughs> CBD cocktails. Oh. Yeah. So it's combining CBD with booze. 
because I mean, and it's it's you know they, it, it does a good thing apparently so yeah I think we'll be seeing a lot more of that because we've had we've seen trip and and lots of brands where it's just CBD drinks but actually mm. with cocktails with alcohol gosh that's interesting so mm. one of the guests we've got coming up in this season is an islander who's created a brand called nature's journey which is beauty products Ooh. infused with cbd yes. um and you know i know someone who has parkinson's who takes cbd for it i have a pillow mist with cbd and it definitely chills me out so how would that work with a cocktail what or have you tried it yet presumably you're having to try this to write about it well yeah it was because i discovered i've it's because I went to a bar uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, where, and I saw it on the menu and I just tried one and that made me look into it a bit. It's like, can, can you mix both? Because I know there's often a lot of confusion between THC and CBD, you know, but THC is a psychoactive bit. But then I looked into what it does and why you would do that. And what I've learned from my experience with CBD is it does take away a bit of sort of anxiety and mm, jitteriness definitely. as well. And you get that with alcohol when you've had a bit too much of it. <laughs> um, so apparently what it does, and I haven't had enough CBD cocktails to, to know if this is true yet, but apparently the CBD element just makes like the alcohol journey a bit smoother and it's meant to protect your brain a little bit. And this is all apparently at the moment because there's not been enough research, the, the research yeah. on, on it yet but it's meant to negate uh, negate that anxiety afterwards and and it, it works hand in hand helping you chill out but it, it stops the massive highs and the massive lows so interesting mm. i can't wait to read that um wine trends because oh, we've trends. just started selling orange wine ah oh, hooray in the halland because we went to the terrace in ventnor yeah and did wine tasting and they brought orange wine into it and we were like what on earth mm -hmm. and then in the summer we had people coming into the shop saying have you got orange wine yeah um, and so we've got some in and it's selling even though it's winter it's selling yes is this an ongoing trend is there a new color coming <laughs> next year oh my gosh well there has been blue um, um orange yeah i think it's only just getting going ironically seeing as it was the first ever wine you know thousands of years ago in georgia <laughs> hilariously because it's essentially white wine made like a red wine where it's just kept on its skins which is what gives it the orange color and that texture which is a little bit more like red wine when they first started, there was a lot of natural wines. You weren't quite sure what you were going to get. They were really funky. But now you're getting really clean, crisp orange wines that have a beautiful colour and a really interesting flavour. So do you think people will be drinking more of it? I mean, in Seaview, we sold an astonishing amount of rosé. Mm -hmm. Could it take over <laughs> from rosé next summer? Or? I think it could go hand in hand. I think it will give it a run for its money. I, I don't think as many places make it. So it, getting hold of it's not going to be as easy as rosé. I was going to ask you, does it have a region? You know, most wines have a specific region. You know, rosé, you think of Provence or maybe Languedoc. But where is orange wine from? Well, I mean, from, weirdly, places like Georgia, where it originally started. But it's not, you can make it anywhere. Because it's about how you make it rather than the terroir, particularly, you know. <laughs> the one we have in the shop at the moment is from Bulgaria. So oh, yeah. Yeah. that sort of Eastern European. Exactly. Eastern and actually Europe. those Eastern European wines are becoming much more popular. Yes. Yeah. They really, really, really are. But, you know, I've seen orange wine coming out of London, coming out of, you know, the south of France, literally everywhere. Can't wait for there to be one from the Isle of Wight. Well, say. So this is going to be my sort of final thing was to talk to you about the wine scene on the island. Um, we know there are vineyards here. There's one wine company. But 
my understanding is some of the vineyards are then selling on to the mainland. But what hope is there for like a really special wine brand from the island? I think huge. I would love to see that. And I think I think it's happening at the moment, actually, because when you drive around the island, if you're if you work in wine, you'll see you'll see that there are loads of south-facing slopes, which is what you want for ripening the grapes. There's loads of chalk tumbling into the road. That's what you want for a Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, which makes world-class sparkling wines. It's a little sunnier here than the mainland. Always. Can be a bit windy, so you don't go too high. But my gosh, the potential is huge. And apparently there is a big producer, a very, a very famous name, moving in here and is just starting to plant down down Ooh. near Knighton, I believe. Yeah. Okay. And I think that's going to be like the first really serious, you know, vineyard that could potentially be world class. That sounds like something I need to explore yeah. and find out a bit more about. Okay, so finally, on the episode, we ask all of our guests a quick fire round of five things about the island. So Helena, are you ready? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Number one, favourite island restaurant. This is such a cliche. I'm sorry, but I love the smoking. I knew you were going to say that. It's just, it is so good. Going to have to press you for the location. Uh, Cow's one. I have been to the original, and I love that. But there's something about the cow's one. And how's their wine list? It's pretty good. It is pretty good. Uh, Yeah, you've got a great range, and it's not ridiculous. And their cocktails are awesome. Chintzia there is amazing. And they have sake too. Great. Great. Favourite shop in at number two. Independent or not. Could be Tesco. Doesn't matter. Oh, oh I love Aldi. <laughs> Kidding. I do. But uh, no, the shop would be, I think, in Ride. It's in the Royal Victoria Arcade. And it's called Victoriana Lanes. And it's one of those. It's a bit like an antique shop, but there's a lot of outdoor stuff. And you just want to buy everything in it. You know, like old wrought iron benches and things to put in your garden but also quirky things to put in your house I I just love it and the lady who runs it is just gorgeous I know the shop you mean and that arcade brings back my childhood because that was where you went to buy your sort of tie-dye trousers (laughs) and your slightly grungy jewelry (laughs) down that arcade but actually it's having a real resurgence and there's like a diner at the end and oh my kids love that diner it's properly old school isn't it lovely that's a great choice Mm -hmm. number three which island charity is closest to your heart well I'm quite new to the island so I'm getting to know all of this but what I'm really interested in is the Ellen MacArthur Foundation circular economy and what they're doing there I think it's really important to be thinking about how we can live a little bit more sustainably especially here where we're seeing the effects you know so much and just reusing like regenerating nature etc I think it's really important number four your hidden gem so somewhere specific off the beaten track yes well I mean there is so much I haven't discovered yet but there is a place if you head to Sandown and you turn right while you're looking at the sea so even in midsummer it it was almost empty and it's there's a it's, there's a trade winds cafe there it's where you can learn how to windsurf it's like a windsurf school and it's right there but it's it's a sandy beach but there's no one on it dogs are allowed and the cafe there is extraordinary it's got an amazing wine list lovely cocktails and it's a real find and it seems to be a place for the locals 
And I love how they've got all the beach huts that are named after ridiculous songs. And yeah. Is that on the revetment between Sandown and Shanklin? Yes. And it's, it's, I've got an unofficial name, Dunroman Beach. Okay. But I don't think that's actually a real name. I think just somebody made it up because someone was Dunroman and set up there. And the name of the cafe? Is Tradewinds. Number five. What one new thing would you like to see on the island in 10 years time? This is probably quite boring, but important. Uh, I'd like to see a proper sewage system. (laughs) I I swim a lot. I would really like to see that. Or a bridge in between East Cows and West Cows. (laughs) But I'm sure a lot of people have said this as well. I'm only allowed to choose one thing, aren't I? You are only allowed to choose one thing. So Mm -hmm. you're going to go for sewerage system? Yeah, I was toying with the idea of saying, I'm so cheating here, aren't I? Uh, Yeah, a world-class vineyard. uh, But sewage is probably, you know, we'll start with that. Yeah, I mean, we do have this very aging infrastructure that is well overdue Mm. upgrade. So I think that's a very good answer. (laughs) Helena, thank you so much. It's been amazing to get to know you better and hear your island story. We want to say a quick thank you to our partner, Style of White. Look out for the Island Stories podcast featured in each issue of the magazine during the series. If you want more island news, sign up for my weekly email newsletter at harrietadfield.co.uk. I'm Harriet Hadfield. My producer is Alex Warren. You'll find us on Instagram at Island Stories Podcast. And we'll have another episode, another interview, another amazing islander in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye.